So we're now already on to part three of our new series on God's kingdom. Today we're going to look at rocks in the kingdom river. What does he mean? We'll find out in a minute. If you want to turn to John chapter 7. Fourth book of the New Testament, John chapter 7. I'm not just going to pray. Lord, if all we want to do today is come and hear some information about you, just have our ears tickled or a, a nice curiosity, a bit of general knowledge about you we can take home, then we've come for nothing. But Lord, if we come here today to hear from your living word, you bring a change in our hearts as a result and therefore ripple effect across others' lives as a result, then Lord, we've come for something. And we humbly ask that you will do that this morning. Lord, you've given me a sermon to prepare, but let it be your words. Let it be your heart shining through. Let it be your purpose being worked out this morning yet again. Just humbly ask for your help, but for each one of us, that we might have open ears to what you have to say to us this morning, that we can act upon it. Help us, Lord, we pray. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So our series on God's kingdom, we're spending nine weeks um, looking through what God's kingdom is, what we can expect of it, what we can ask for, what God's up to. And uh, we've already had an introduction last week, Julian, very helpfully, using the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' model of prayer helps us realise it's more than just a nice way of praying and as long as we can memorise those words we'll get prayer right. There's actually, you look at those words we get to say when we do say the Lord's Prayer out loud and we realise that's all about kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done, don't deliver us into evil and so on. It's, it's about a battle out there and in here. And that's what Julian helped unpack for us last week. And uh, today I want to talk about rocks in the kingdom river. First of all, shall we just read these few verses? John chapter 7 from verse 37. There's just an interesting thing that Jesus says. This is about six months before he died. This is in year two, coming into year three of his time in ministry on this planet. And so this is about autumn time. And verse 37 says, On the last day of the feast, this feast is the Feast of Booze, the Feast of Tabernacles, where for a week the Jewish people would remember what God had done in their history, they'd remember God's faithfulness, but they'd also celebrate what is done in the harvest that they've just reaped, and they thank God for it. They have other feasts that celebrate the beginning of harvest, and so on. this is the one at the end of it. And they thank God for his faithfulness. And it's at this feast. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus should, stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. It's only a couple of verses, so I'll read it again. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. It doesn't mean the Holy Spirit wasn't active. He already was in Jesus and through the disciples as well. But he's talking about something greater to come that would be more than just a deposit for the church to walk in. And of course we see that uh, a few months later, the following Easter, well following May as we'd know it, uh, Pentecost time, when Holy Spirit, boy did he come in power. <laughs> there was a mighty rushing wind, there were tongues of fire, the, the disciples started speaking in other tongues and 3,000 got saved, added to the church that day. From then on, the Holy Spirit's been more than just a little bit active, isn't he? And uh, since then, believers in Christ have fulfilled their calling as God's people to the greatest potential when it's been in step with the Holy Spirit, when they've been filled with the Holy Spirit, when they've allowed Holy Spirit to work through them. That's the only way we can ever live out our, our calling to its greatest potential. And here, interestingly... Jesus describes Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is the third part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a person. He is God. He is a he. He is not an it. He is not a Jedi Star Wars force. It's not magic. This is a person. But interestingly here, Jesus describes him as water. That's not the first time that's happened. You can see it elsewhere, particularly in, there's a good one in Isaiah 44, for example. So it's not new to the Jewish people. Their prophet from hundreds of years beforehand Isaiah 44, verse 3, God says this through his, through his prophet, through Isaiah 44, 3, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. What a promise. But there, Holy Spirit is described as water. And so Jesus is doing the same. Like I say, it's nothing new. But we've been learning already a lot of what to expect from God's kingdom as it advances, what it looks like, what we can step into, and we want to see more. But we don't always, do we? Why is that? See, sometimes it could be timing. Sometimes God, God works in seasons, doesn't he? And sometimes things are a bit quieter, sometimes things are a bit louder, sometimes things are a bit slower, much to our frustration and impatience. Sometimes it all kicks off. That's how God moves, for different reasons. It's in his timing. Sometimes, though, we can use that as an excuse. Well, it's not happening yet, so it's clearly God's timing. So we'll sit back and wait for it to happen. And years later, we're still waiting for it to happen. It's God's timing. But the trouble is, we may not realise, but we're just content paddling in the waters when there's a great big ocean out there. Sometimes God's waiting for us to do something. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Because you see, verse 38, what is it Jesus says? Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. An easy way to skip through that, scan, read it, and think about a river. Does he say river? What does he say? Rivers. Rivers. He's not describing the Holy Spirit as a river of water. That would be great. A river of life. I'd get that. He's describing it as rivers. He's saying, guys, there's a torrent available in all directions. It's not just one, plural. I don't know if I've ever consciously got that before. It's not just a river of life. It's a rivers of life. Rivers of living water. Do we see that much? 
No. Did Jesus lie? No, I hope so, good. Did he exaggerate? No. So why don't we always see it? I'm getting frustrated. Are you? Yes. Why don't we always see this? Simon Holly, whose book has been quite influential for this series, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, Sustainable Power by Simon Holly, one of our pastors in Bedford, outstanding book. He tells his own story, he tells his church's story. It's very exciting. You find out what's happened since, it gets even more exciting. Read this book. If you get a chance, borrow one of our copies, even better, buy one through Paul when he comes back through the bookshop. Uh, Sustainable Power by Simon Holly. He spends the first half of the book talking about why we don't always see Holy Spirit and his activity any more than we'd like to. And he explains it as rocks in the kingdom riverbed. In as much as Jesus is promising rivers of living water, but there can be great big rocks in that riverbed that impede the flow. Does that make sense? And there can be a number of them. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I'm going to talk about a few. I've got half a dozen. Let's see how we're going for time. Each one could have a week in themselves, I'm sure. What am I going to talk about? What do I mean by rocks in the riverbed that can impede Holy Spirit's work? Here's the first one. This is, this is me. This is... Get it out of the way. Self-reliance. Self-reliance can be a big rock. And these rivers of living water working in our life as Holy Spirit wants to work through us. What do I mean by this? For me, I've been increasingly aware of this, particularly in reading this book. So thank you, Simon. Lots of work going on in here. See, in my calling as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a paramedic as well, God's given me a calling there I've got only to fulfill. Quite often, I can leave God out of the equation. I can leave God out of the conversation. And I can go through my daily life and almost act as if he doesn't exist. We can be functional atheists. We'd never believe he doesn't exist. We definitely do. And we do spend time with him. But quite often we go for a big chunk of a day or days without actually acknowledging his existence. We're just living like atheists. Same thing. And so that doesn't affect your salvation, your standing in him at all. But we can act like that, can't we? I'm not consciously self-reliant. I'm not thinking, I can do better. You want me to do it that way, but I know better. I'm going to do it this way. But unconsciously, functionally, I can act self-reliant. And I can get on in my own energies and try and do things my way and how I've learnt before and from my experience, the best way of doing it is this way. And I can leave God out of the conversation so easily. But what happens? I get stressed. I get angry. I can ask Jenny all about it. I can get lazy. I can get apathetic. All sorts can happen. All these things can gradually creep in. But whenever I realise it, what I've done again, and I confess, and I'll start relying on him again, I can get more done, better, in less time. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Which is why Martin Luther... Famous guy from church history, Martin Luther, he once said, sometimes I have so much to do, I have to spend the first three hours in prayer. (laughs) At first you think about three hours, you could have got some jobs done, ticked off your to-do list, and that's how I start working. I've got so much time, I can't really spend much time with your God because I've got all this to do. Consciously or sadly unconsciously. But he's right. 
when I've got, I've got so much to do today and I've only got so much time to do some of that, I can't not spend time with God first. And you'll be surprised what you can get done better in less time as a result as well. Because it's Holy Spirit working through you. Decisions are made more clear. You're given strength in adversity. You're given fresh ideas. Circumstances change because of prayer. Things change. See, Simon Holly, in this book, he talks about the orphan spirit, which is when we can divorce our everyday life from our Heavenly Father, and we can just live as orphans. Functional atheism. It's a danger, and we're all in danger of it. Matthew 7, verse, uh, yeah, Matthew 7, verse 11, says this. I'm going to have to move on to the next one already, aren't I? Matthew 7, verse 11 If you then who are evil, this is Jesus again, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Do we ask enough? No. Should we? Yes. Self-reliance can be a big rock in the riverbed of Holy Spirit's activity. Let's move on to the next one. Judgment. Judging others. Ooh. None of us are prone to that, are we? No, of course not. This is very different to discernment. I know I've explained this before. Discernment is deeming what is right, what is wrong. And sometimes, for the purity of the church, for your own brother or sister's uh, growth, or, or where they're at in their lives, you want to help them out, sometimes you need to confront people about what is right and what is wrong. We need to give a voice to those who have lost a voice around the world, in the workplace, in the neighbourhood, whatever. The poor, that's right and that's wrong. And I need to do something about it sometimes. That's discernment. Judgment is when you do that and think you're better. That's the difference. But quite often we can think, yeah, but I'm not very judgmental. He is. X, Y and Z are. I know the judgmental people in my church. And God's going, hello, <laughs> hello. Have you, ever, have you ever found yourself thinking, you'll never catch me doing that? You're judging. <laughs> you can still decide it's wrong and ask God's help to stop you doing that. But don't think you're above it. I can't believe they did such a thing. Oh, it's terrible. Ever, ever moaned about learner drivers out on the roads? They got frustrated at them. Easy if they weren't there, wouldn't it? And then you forget that you were one once. It's the same thing, isn't it? See, when we think ourselves better than others, we lose empathy for them. Even if they're in the wrong, we can still lose empathy. Sometimes there's reasons why they're doing that. Doesn't excuse it, but sometimes there's reasons. We can lose compassion to minister to people, to encourage them, to see their potential. And sometimes, I know Bev would explain, talking you know, with teenagers, it's easy to write them off for, oh, they're that type. But all they need is someone to see the potential, to spend time with them, to empathise, to understand where they're coming from. They're still doing wrong, but give them time, see the potential, encourage them, minister to them. You never know what God might do. But if we judge them, We'll never even reach that place, will we? But imagine what could could do if. 
Judgment. It's a big rock in the riverbed. Self-reliance, judgment, another one. Religious control. This is when we like to take the reins of church and spiritual activity and not let God have the reins. If we just let the Holy Spirit have his way, we'll let the nutters in. Well, on Pentecost, when it really kicked off, what if Peter had gone, uh, sorry, this isn't on the program, and that person's shouting and wobbling over there. That one's lying on the floor and making penguin noises. Um, uh, if the elders could uh, remove them from the hall because we want a bit more order in the place. Thank you. No. Just let the Holy Spirit do his thing because he knew it was Holy Spirit. Sometimes there are nutters. <laughs> and we need to deal with them gently, sensitively. Or quite often we've got to be careful we don't dampen down what Holy Spirit wants to do amongst us just because... It's not normal. Holy Spirit ain't normal. (laughs) And I'm glad. See, there is a false safety in taking control. If I take control and we have this order and we do this, this, this and nothing else, it will be safe. But that's a false safety. There is a real safety in letting Holy Spirit lead. That does not mean abandoning structure. We don't have structure in this church. We let the Holy Spirit do what he wants. No, he's a God of order. Read 1 Corinthians. Order is essential. Because he's a God of order, not of chaos. You don't abandon structure for the sake of it. You don't just abandon regular styles of worship. Or systematic preaching that takes us on a journey. We need that. The apostles did that. That's important. But we need to have an open ear to what the Holy Spirit is up to. And when he suggests otherwise, we need to be willing to take that on board and do something about it and go where he's going, not where we think we should go. Do you see the difference? Last, last week, two weeks ago, June the 8th, was a beautiful example. Those that don't know, the school were having their fair on site. So some of us got here early to help them set up. Uh, we had half an hour of, of songs and prayer, didn't we? And then we got back out and helped them. We ran a teas and coffee school, uh, stall. And we had a brilliant time. God really blessed us with the weather, didn't we? Fantastic time. We've made friends as a result. It's unlocked Kingdom Advance, I'm convinced. It's unlocked favour with the school, massively. If we'd sensed Holy Spirit suggesting that might be a good idea, and we'd gone, no, because at 10.30 till 12 we have our meeting in here where all of us meet and we have songs and such and such will bring a tongue and such and such will bring a scripture and then we're going to have a sermon and then we're going to have teas and coffees and then we're going to tidy up and about hopefully by 10 to 1 if we can finish early we'll go home again. No. Thank you for being willing to listen to Holy Spirit and he suggested otherwise. And it was brilliant and I believe it made a great, great difference. The real safety is letting Holy Spirit lead. So religious, religious control. Because we like our comfort zones, don't we? Yes, we do. Another one. Here's a biggie. Fix us all. Fear. Yeah, but what if? The big don't know. See, we have a fear of rejection. All of us can relate to that in some way. Either growing up or in adulthood or both. Rejection can be a biggie. We've all been affected by it in different ways. We all want to be liked, don't we? (laughs) Even people who say they don't do. But knowing you are loved beyond measure by your Jesus, 
means you're not hindered in sharing him because you're less worried about what other people think of you because you love him and he loves you. And then you're willing to seek his prompts and to step out a bit. So I've had the privilege of praying with colleagues, praying for healing, laying hands on them. Not a lot, because I've actually missed a lot of opportunities where I could have done it more. That wasn't me missing them unconsciously, that's conscious. There's a big moment here, but I'm scared, so I'm not going to say anything. And you always go away with your tail between your legs, wishing you'd done something. But you always worry about what they think of you. And I need to remember, I'm loved by a great big God. <laughs> when the opportunity is staring my in the face, and I'm not just missing it, I'm, I, I can see it. I know it's here. And I back down. He still loves me. He's not going to be whack me around the cheek for it. He still loves me. But there was a moment I could have actually stepped out knowing I'm loved by him, rather than fear of man, rather than being blown away by an awesome God and what he might be able to do. There's a guy called Mike Breen. He's a church leader. He's English. He's, he's hopped across uh, the Atlantic Ocean a few times. He's now back in South Carolina, I think, leading a church over there. But he's, uh, he was vicar in um, Brixton Hill in the late 80s. Very deprived area. A lot of challenges. And he'd just been there a little while, trying to build links with the community. And um, he was just praying about what to do and how to relate and he just wanted to see salvation and, and God at work God's kingdom at work advancing across this place where it, just, it was quite destitute in many ways and he asked God what to do about it do you know what God said build a cross and carry it around the town <laughs> is that a big pardon build a cross and carry it around it was like I must have eaten too much cheese or something so he went away for a while and he prayed about it and God made it very clear that he wanted him to build a cross and carry it around the sound. He's like, oh no. So he comes home and tells his wife, hoping she'll help get him out of this hole. God's telling me to build a cross and I'm going to have to carry it around town. What do you think? She went, yeah, sounds about right. Like, <laughs> Thanks, love. So he went to his leadership team, looking for a way out. I think God's telling me to build a cross and carry it around town. And they went, Brilliant, we'll be praying for you. Thanks. So, announced it to the church. I think God's telling me to build a cross and carry it around town. They went, great, let us know how you get on. So this one guy, on his own, feeling like an idiot, unable to ignore what God was asking him to do, he did it. He built a big cross in his garden. I think the neighbours apparently were looking out the window. It's like, what's going on? Built this big cross and he carried it around town. And the first day he stepped out and it's like, oh, do, do I just, do I say anything? So he started, Jesus is the light of the world. And he's walking around. He said, he said I've preached for about two minutes. <laughs> kind of dried up a little bit. But I carried on walking around. Nothing happened. Felt like a plonker. Another day he did it, next day. Third day, his youth pastor came and joined him. And they did it together. And after a while, a few more people started joining him. They started seeing healings break out. I think the first day someone shouted out the window, the vicar's lost the plot. But people started standing up and taking, taking notice by the end of it. A few people each time, different people were walking with him. People got saved. 
people got healed. One example is a lady, Irene. She came up to him and said, you're the vicar who carries the cross, aren't you? He's like, I'm carrying it. <laughs> the answer's yes. Hello. She said, my name's Irene. I said, how, how are you? He goes, well, she, I just twisted my ankle. It's really painful. I just did it this morning. He said, can we pray for you? So they prayed for her. The pain's gone. Brilliant. It must be God. Thank you so much. And she runs off. And he's like, does anybody know who she is? And they're like, no, because we need that one. We've got to be able to share that on Sunday. We want, we want that one, don't we? Got all excited. So I think it was the next day, a group of them came up to him and goes, we've been praying. She lives at 93 Commonwealth Gardens. He's like, you're having a laugh, aren't you? So now you want me to not just be an idiot walking around with a cross, you want me to be an idiot knocking on some stranger's door and getting it wrong. They're like, yeah, okay. So he knocked on 93. They went together, knocked on 93 Commonwealth Gardens. Stranger opened the door. Is Irene in? Who? I said, oh, okay. They went, no, 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 we got it wrong. It's 39 Commonwealth Gardens. So he started mocking them. So, oh, so God's dyslexic now, is he? And he said, all right, just this once, one more, 39 Commonwealth Gardens. 39 Commonwealth Gardens. Irene opens the door. It's the vicar. They had a chat. She got saved that day. So this is because a man was willing to override his fear of man and go where God was going. Doesn't mean we'll have to carry big crosses around Herm Bay or Greenhill. And he makes that very clear in his book. He's saying, that's not for you, that was for me. But when God asks you to do something that your fear of man is going to put a big block on, do something about it. It's a challenge, isn't it? Fear is a big thing. So we can have fear of losing control. A bit like what we talked about earlier. We can have fear of running out of money. Can be a big one. Our next season at church and me, me going full time for church, that's a big scary jump for me and Jenny, I'll be honest with you. It's another big wage drop that we're struggling to work out how we're going to afford. But we believe God's calling us to it and we've got to work it out and trust Him. We're scared. It's scary for the church. That's a big leap in doubling my salary for a church of our size. We'll talk about some of that tonight and we're going to pray through it. It's scary. But if we are convinced this is what God is calling us to, we'll work out how he wants us to do it and maybe we need to do it. Fear of failure is another one. A ship in the harbour is very, very safe. But it's not what a ship is built for. Sometimes we just need to step out, don't we? Fear can be a big rock in the riverbed. Two more. Another one, this one's quite obvious when you think about it. Unbelief. If you don't believe he's going to do anything, you're not going to ask in the first place, are you? <laughs> it's a big rock. It impedes the flow of Holy Spirit. We won't seek him. We won't ask for help, especially in the supernatural. You won't offer to pray for people. Remember what John Wimber said? When we pray for no one, nobody got healed. When we prayed for everyone, some got healed. If we don't believe he's going to do it, we're not going to pray for anyone in the first place, are we? We can be blind to doors opening up. We can be blind to Holy Spirit's existing activity and where the fruit is really coming. We just not see it. We can be blind to the fact that we're in a spiritual battle, which we are, always anyway, but I believe past few weeks of Beacon we're seeing more of it behind the scenes. It's heating up. Someone doesn't like it. We need to press in, but we need to be aware of it. Because, of course, when you're blind to a spiritual battle, you're at the mercy of the devil because you're blind to his sly ways as well, getting in the back door. 
Doubt is different to unbelief. Doubt is I am struggling to believe, but I want to. Unbelief is I will not believe. That's very different. It's okay to doubt. It's throughout the Bible. God's okay with people who doubt and he helps them get their heads around it. That's fine. That's faith, isn't it? I'm struggling to, but I want to believe you. That's different. You see, we had a cell welcome recently. And I can't remember, was it Bev? Asked, asked us, um, if you could have one superpower, what would it be? I said, I want, I want wings. I want like, Angel from the X-Men. He's got massive great eagle's wings. I'd love to do that. I'd just go flying. I'd love to be able to fly. What brilliant power. Yeah, Margaret too. But I haven't thrown myself off beachy head thinking I could fly. Why? Because I don't believe it'll happen. <laughs> But if we truly say we believe what is available, what God's word tells us, that rivers of life are available, rivers of living water, Holy Spirit at work in all he does, not just healing, but lives being changed, opportunities opening, words of knowledge and healing, people being saved that we've been praying for for years. If we didn't believe that, really, then we're not going to pursue it, are we? It's going to block his flow. If we really believe it, Maybe there's something we need to do about it. In here, in here. One more. Disappointment. Biggie. Healing is a good example. You yourself might have an ailment that you've been praying for for years. Others have been praying for. And you've just given up because nothing's happened. Like I just mentioned, friends or family that you've been praying for, you want them to come to know Jesus themselves and nothing's happened and you don't even see any hint of a change or interest. There comes a point you just want to not bother anymore. Do you get that? You get disappointed. We were praying for Fran last Sunday, weren't we? She's not here today, she's at home. But Fran, she's in her 20s, she's got this syndrome that scars her lungs and affects other parts of her body as well. It's a very rare syndrome. Her lung functions down to 50%. Last Sunday we prayed for her. Every breath she takes hurts. I don't know if you know that. Every breath hurts. And after we prayed for her last Sunday, she had a pain-free day. For the first time in three years. Hallelujah! He's up to something. Some of the pain has returned, but it's been diminished. But he's already started, isn't he? This week, it's a battle. She started a chemotherapy this week. Within 15 minutes, her heart rate went up to 190. They had to take her off it. She had an allergic reaction, extreme reaction. They don't know what to do next. They're trying to work out another plan of attack. And she had her hopes up about that. She thought that was it. That was going to fix it. Not at the moment. She's home and she's disappointed. And we can be. Thankfully, some people here are going around to pray for her tonight because they're not going to give up. Going to persist. We're going to be careful not to let disappointment stop us seeking more of the Holy Spirit. It's really, really important. Sometimes people don't get healed in this life. That's okay. We don't like it. And we don't always understand it. Not everybody gets healed. Even in Jesus' ministry, not everybody got healed. Some got healed. But just because 
not everybody gets healed, that is not a reason to never ask for it. Because he still does heal. We need to hear this. Disappointment can be a massive rock in our kingdom river of seeing what he can do. Imagine if Fran gets healed, the amount of lives that will be affected. It's not just her, Mark or Oakley or Rebecca. There's a lot of friends, family, neighbours around her and around us that will be affected as a result of that. So let's keep asking for it. And others as well. Darren and so on. Let's keep praying. You just never know what God might do. Let's not stop asking. Sometimes people don't want to be prayed for anymore. They'd like a break. That's fine. Let them. Let them have a breather. Don't keep forcing it on people. We can still keep asking God to do what he will. Don't let disappointment hold you back. Let's go back to that verse 38 of John chapter 7. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I've talked about these rocks. The key now, and there's others, it's just examples. The key now is repentance. See, it's five frogs sitting on a log. Four of them decide to jump off. How many are left on the log? Five. Deciding is not the same as doing. Ah. Deciding and doing are not the same thing. And so repentance takes work. Repentance isn't just saying sorry. Repentance isn't just looking at the riverbed, seeing these big rocks and go, they need to move, I'll write a letter. No, it takes concerted efforts to get the diggers in (laughs) and the cranes and get them moved. Repentance takes work, doesn't it? See, to drink... It's far more than just deciding to drink. And he's offering us rivers of living water. We have to do it. We have to imbibe, enjoy it, savour it, relish it, make the most of it. And so we have a choice, all of us. Do we want to step into his promises? Do we? Do we want to repent of these rocks and ask for his help to get rid of them? Knowing there'll be pain, knowing there'll be challenges, but knowing it'll be worth it. Do we want to do that? Or do we want to stay in our comfort zone? Temptation, isn't it? Christ never promised us an easy life. That's one thing he didn't promise us. But he did promise us he will be with us always. How? By Holy Spirit. Jesus died on that cross carrying our sin so that we might have open access to the Holy Father unhindered by our sin loved and adopted, cherished welcomed into his family forever once and forever Jesus died for that and then he ascended to the Father's right hand because he had done the hard work so that the Holy Spirit might come and work through us, live in us Help us. He's known as our counsellor. That's how he's described. He's our counsellor. He's by your side. And he's within you as well. I don't want just a little taste of that. I want pints and pints of it. 
Because Holy Spirit is available not just as a river, but as rivers. And I'm getting impatient and I'm not seeing enough. I want more. Do you want more? Julian, do you mind just coming back just to play something in the background? Should we stand? Jesus has done a